Welcome to another episode of I Want to Know. I'm Julia. And I'm Brooke. And I'm super excited to talk to you about your business today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. My business is called Averson Design. And to, to go way back, I sort of fell into design by accident. Um, I was an art major and thought that I was going to study interior design, or I did study interior design, um, and wasn't really sure where I was headed with that or what, I, what that looked like. And then um, I was doing photo editing for a gal my senior year of college, which is not really graphic design, but was using Photoshop lightly. Um, and I'd taken some design courses and was like interested. And then um, a, the person that ended up hiring me was looking for an admin slash design person. Um, it was a nonprofit in Chicago that I ended up working remotely for. Um, oh, yeah, what was that again? Yeah, it's called Resource Global. Uh, not was, it is called Resource Global. <laughs> yeah, um, they, are, they are a resource for, um, it's a Christian organization that um, supports recent graduates, especially exchange students, um, to integrate faith and work in the marketplace um, following oh, That's college. awesome. Yeah, it's a really cool, really cool setup, um, faith and work integration. Um, and it was a great experience for me. Like first job out of college, I had a ton to learn and kind of got to learn design by fire in that position and grow with them. They ended up doing a rebrand that I got to be a part of um, and hired more of a marketing and communications team. So that was, it was really fun. I learned a lot and loved the people that I work with. Um, and then I transitioned into um, working, doing some part-time work in freelancing after that. And so freelancing was another learning curve. I mean, that's completely different than in-house design. And I'm still learning every day about, you know, working with clients and um, kind of managing things on my end. I, I really like that part. So I remember checking in with you after like a whole year and being like, what's up with your life? And you mentioned having that job remotely, remotely in Chicago, right? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I remember there was, it was for someone we had met in Chicago, but I can't remember who that is. Yeah. No, I was, um, I was doing the internship at Newcom, which you know about. Um, and this was, uh, Tommy Lee was his name, a connection. Um, he was the, he's the executive director of resource global. And, um, that was the connection. So Russ connected me to him because they were looking for, they were looking to hire somebody and we, I was in Chicago actually randomly for a May term class, like my very last college class. And we met for breakfast and I thought he was just like being a nice guy. Like just, yeah, we met before. I'll take you to breakfast. You're in the city again. It'll be great. But then he started asking me like, well, how much do you need to live in Spokane? And like, what's your job? <laughs> Is this an interview? Like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> that was job. So, which I about fell out of my chair when he did that. I mean, I was not expecting that. So that's how it happened. That's awesome. Yeah. He's a really good <laughs> so yeah. it was just kind of like this mysterious, like not mysterious, but just like you so, never right. saw it coming. Like you were looking for a job and then all of a sudden here's I was a job offer. Being a painting teacher after college and trying to figure out what was next. I had no set plans. Um, so it was a huge blessing and just like, like a really random thing too. <laughs> so I'm really thankful for it. Cause it, 
it is what kind of turned me towards design uh, and kind of gave me the opportunity to try it out more too than just the the classes that I had taken in college, which the life experience just gives you a little bit more of a picture of like what it's going to be like, I guess. Mm-hmm. So that was really nice. Yeah. So that's how it happened. Sweet. All right. Yeah. So then you started freelancing, right? Is that what you I said? Did. Yeah. So I was, um, worked part-time for a couple of different nonprofits, um, still work part-time for new community today doing communication and curation. Um, and I love that work. That's, it's a really great balance to, um, what I do with my business and, yeah. So speaking of curation, uh-huh. you've come up in a bunch of different conversations with like all kinds of different people. And I love telling people that that's what you do at our church. Yeah. <laughs> and I do my best at describing what I'm pretty sure it is, but can you say more about that? Cause I'm not sure that really any other church has a curator. Absolutely. Yeah. It's very, um, I think it fits in with the with the ethos of our community too. So it might, part of it's just the way the church is structured, but it also uh, gets me real excited being an art major. So I can nerd out on like that side of, so art curation would be, you're taking art that was created by other people that already exists and then uh, piecing something together to create a larger body of work. That's kind of art in itself by assembling pieces into one. that's maybe one way to think of curation. Another word would be choreography that comes to mind. Um, You're piecing together movements that stand alone into a larger body of work, which I have a dance background. And so I get really excited about uh, those types of things too. And so the, the term curator is this idea that at least in the church, there's already like, um, I'm facilitating other people creating beautiful things and uh, forms of worship, and then just trying to piece that together into something that feels like worship as a whole, or would invite somebody into an experience um, that they're having on their own that's happening from other people, really. So I'm like the, it's kind of like a background role, um, but a like background, uh, I don't know, mind, I don't know how, what you would call it, but you're choreographing. I mean, that's really yeah. where you're, you're arranging something, a piece as a whole, taking all the pieces and figuring out how they fit together best and leaving space for people to encounter um, God in this case, but um, people and connect and yeah. So it's a, I mean, it's a really fun job, but also I think fits me well, like with my background and I tend I wouldn't call myself a visionary. I love feeding off of other people's ideas. Um, and that's a challenge for me in my, like in my business. Um, and something I've really had to try to grow into, but, um, curation is like taking what's already there and arranging it. And that is a sweet spot for for me because I get to lift other people and elevate what they're doing and get excited about what they're excited about. So that's a really fun thing for me. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) Okay. So now that I've completely distracted us from (laughs) the the trajectory you had us on. So you were freelancing and also working for some nonprofits. Yeah. And really what happened with freelancing, well, and one thing I should add is I was very unsure about freelancing and, um, like, uh, took the LSAT in the midst of that. And what, it was just a period where I was pretty lost on what I actually thought I should be doing. And I had a lot of 
ideals about what that looked like. And I say that just because I think it can seem like when somebody tells their story, they have like this perfect narrative of how it panned out. And it was not that way for me. Like I wasn't stoked about freelancing the whole time and I didn't really know where it was headed, but I felt like I needed to be all in and commit for a year to see if I really could do design. Um, if that was something that I could continue on in or if running it my own business or being in a freelance kind of format would suit me. And so, um, in 2018, I named the business and that was an effort to kind of remove myself from, I had, I think in the creative world, it can be hard to unidentify with your work. And when you're doing client work, there comes a point where you have to do that. Um, and I think from like a well-being perspective too, I just, I, my meaning doesn't lie in my work entirely, although I'm deeply passionate about work being a place where you can like really, um, pour yourself into. I needed that degree of separation. So that's really what it came from in terms of naming the business. And then I wanted to try to build kind of a business structure rather than um, in my in my mind and from some of the like reading that I had done from other designers at that time to freelance means like you jump into somebody else's world and you have your own protocols, but you're you're jumping into their sort of realm and then making things happen in the midst of that. And I wanted something where I could kind of call the shots and create a process that I could invite my clients into. Um, and that's been a work in progress ever since that point. I mean, I'm still figuring out how to do that, but that was the desire behind naming it mm -hmm. um, and kind of creating a structure like that. So to just mentally be able to separate, like if your name was the business to be able to mentally separate, this is my life and this is my work, which has a different name now. Yes. Which it, it was Brookerson Design starting out with my main name um, and that's how I had structured it. And it was just an attempt really for myself. I knew people would still know it was me. And so it almost felt silly to do it at the time. Mm. Um, and But a lot of it was truly just a personal desire to not be the face of the brand, to have something behind it. And there's whole a whole rabbit trail we could go on about personal branding versus like branding for business and um you know, people connect with the person behind the brand. And so that's important, but I don't always want to be the face of the brand. Like I wanted something else to be in front of it. So, mm -hmm. um, that's been, that's always kind of a tricky thing for me, but that was the intent behind it. So, and there's a really cool story behind the name, right? Oh yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, I just remember something about a Canyon. Yep. You nailed it. <laughs> so, uh, I grew up in Southeastern Colorado on a ranch, on a cattle ranch, and um, Averson Canyon runs through the ranch and it's this beautiful um, gem in the midst of a landscape that from the highway looks like Kansas. It's like, <laughs> to Kansas, I love Kansas, but if you're on the highway, it looks really flat. You're just in like high plains, but then back on the property, there's some beautiful landscape. Um, and I'm a person, as you maybe are already gathering, that's passionate about identity. And I love depth and nuance and exploration of purpose and um, all of those pieces. And so Averson is not only the, a place that I deeply love that was sacred to me and is still like a very inspiring, peaceful place, but um, has for a lot of like um, metaphors have formed in terms of like how canyons are formed and mm. um, just the layers and depth that come with that. And so um, you could, 
you can nerd out on that as I have all sorts of metaphors <laughs> that go on in my head, but really it's named after a landmark that's important to me. That's how it came about. So that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. And I love that you also have like all, like all the smaller things that you just alluded to that are significant to it too. It's like, yeah, so many tiny things adding up to this really beautiful overarching. Yeah. And thing. some of them came later. Like I didn't, some of it I didn't necessarily plan on, but the more that I've explored what I'm passionate about in my work, then the more I've found connections. And that's always, that's always fun just to find them later on. I don't know if you've experienced, do you feel like you've experienced that as you've gone along? Like, oh, wow, this means even more than I thought it did or something like that. Um, not yet. <laughs> I've only like officially had my business license since the beginning of May. Um, and so I actually piggybacked off of someone's free marketing audit. <laughs> she told me that she was having trouble coming up with a name. And so she met um, with Josh from Tinderbox Marketing, if you know who that is. Um, he's super cool and gives away so much information. <laughs> he's great. Um, and so at her, her first appointment, he said, make a list of words that are important to you. And then like keep paring it down until you find something you like. Mm, that's cool. Thanks. And so I have always loved the word and the concept of wonder, mm -hmm. but something about that didn't sound quite there. It wasn't like, it didn't, it, it didn't go so far as to be professional also for me. And so I added... I added the the last the latter bit, so now it's wonderment. And I looked up the difference between the definitions and wonder is more of like a feeling and like curiosity and just like this really creative kind of zone. Whereas wonderment, I'm pretty sure the definition is a state of awe and inspired something. Or it's like awe and inspiration. That's really like, cool. Thank yeah. you. And it's like, that's exactly how I want my clients to feel. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Thanks. So I named it in 2018, the business as a desire, you know, of all the descriptors that I just gave. And then it's kind of been a journey ever since. Um, and there's all sorts of like stories within that. Um, but I just, I learn a lot like from my clients and from my work. And I really, I really feel like work is a, is a place where I've felt really shaped. Um, and I'm like I mentioned earlier, I'm just passionate about mm. the ways that work can be purposeful, but a, a lot of it too is like showing us, it's reflecting things about our own identity, which has nothing to do with work, but who we are is a part of our work. And so there's all of this mm -hmm. correlation in the ways that we show up and don't show up and learn and struggle. And so I have loved that and have found um, the, the whole process of this, uh, owning my own business and kind of figuring these things out, uh, both really fun and really challenging in sometimes great ways and other times ways that I, <laughs> if you'd asked me at the time, I probably would have said, I hate this, but, um, it's been really fun. So, so the podcast is called, I want to know, and this whole series started because as I was thinking of and going into and now owning a business, I am finding there just the deeper and deeper I got into it, the more I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. 
And so it was like, I know all of these women who have started their own businesses. I need to know. And obviously everyone's story is different, but I wanted, I started to want to collect as many different stories as I could. And I realized that just every woman I talked to who has started their own business has used the word, has used the phrase imposter syndrome or like, I'll bring it up and they're like, yep, so real. (laughs) And I just think that that is such a tragedy because all of the women that I know who have said that are so, so good at what they do. Mm. And, and so I'm one, I'm trying to like, I don't know, just, yeah. Like I said, collect stories, but then also like celebrate how the stories are different and then also celebrate how they're the same so that we don't feel so alone. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, I was like, this, this needs to be recorded so that I, I'm not just getting this information, but that however many other people need it can have it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I definitely relate to a lot of what you just said. And I think, um, connecting with people is the best way to realize that we're all still figuring it out and we mm-hmm. will for the rest of our days. And I hope to be and like, if I really think about it, that's who I want to be, but it's really hard when you're, when you're in charge of this thing and trying to, trying to feel, um, foster self-belief or inner belief. I think that can be, um, a tricky thing, but I, um, what I've found is there's so many people in the world that are doing amazing things. It can be really tempting to look outward And there's a difference between being inspired by that and being really intimidated and like stifled by that. Um, And so I think I've been tempted to glean uh, understandings of how my own business and life should go based on what other people are doing, not necessarily to copy them, but just like, well, they say do this, so I should try that, or they say do that. And uh, there came a point so there's plenty of things that have been helpful about those. And I could list off a number of people that I think are just incredible resources. But um, I think where I really learned the most is from turning off some of that noise and like turning inward and allowing myself to sit in the tension of that, of that struggle of like, what is this about and what is important to me? And I think what, when I did that, this was all kind of, little over a year ago that I really dove into that process. Um, and a a good friend of mine that I knew from Chicago graciously was piloting this, like, um, it's sort of a cross between spiritual direction and design thinking, like a, a mentorship program of sorts. And so she was willing to meet with me some and was really an incredible guide through some of this. But, um, what came out of it is just me realizing all of these ideals for success and arrival points and, wanting to look a certain way and be a certain way. And none of that really was going to fulfill my purpose deep down. Like none of it really mattered, but that's what was like driving me um, kind of insane to try to figure out like, well, how can I validate this? How can I make this real? How can I make people think it's real? And underneath that was just a lot of feeling lost and a lot of like the need to explore my own and my inner understanding of myself and my business So I did a lot of sitting in that, um, 
in the last like year or so. And it wasn't that fun sometimes, but it was really helpful. And I think um, slowly but surely has fostered um, an understanding for me of what I'm about rather than like trying to inform what I'm about from what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that has just given me a little bit of a filter on things where I can say, okay, is this authentic to me and what I should be doing or, or not? Is that for somebody else? And I can celebrate what they're doing, but it doesn't mean that I need to be doing it. Um, And that's still uncomfortable for me for sure. Um, but it's given me at least a filter and maybe just an awareness of like, okay, are you, are you looking outward, feeling inspired and celebrating these other things happening? Um, or are you looking outward to try to like figure something out that you need to do on your own? So that was a big piece of that process for me, I would say. How do you internally, like, well, I guess not internally, but how do you gauge who to unfollow and who to not? Like you're doing great, but I can't look at your work all the time because it makes me feel the pressure that you just described. Yeah. Um, I've learned a lot about how much my body talks to me in those ways. So if I, if I tune into like, okay, I just got onto a social media platform and now I'm off and I feel really heavy or I saw a certain post and like, I got a little sick to my stomach or my stomach dropped or, um, my head got foggier, like it didn't get clear, or I wasn't sparked by an inner idea. I was, I jumped into somebody else's world. Um, I think the, like those cues, those internal cues are helpful. And then, um, like more practically, I just went through and unfollowed a lot of people in my industry. And that's not because I don't celebrate what they're doing, but I, if I'm going to be inspired then I want to glean uh, that inspiration from the beauty around me and the beauty of things that I love. And I love design, but the, I think that our industries can start to like uh, turn in on themselves almost and feel it, mm-hmm. it can just feel really, really small when there's a big world out there with a lot of different people that have a lot of different needs and experiences. So I think just that small step of like unfollowing people or maybe just like turning off notifications. It's not to say that you don't support what they're doing. It just is more um, an internal need to like find inspiration elsewhere. And a lot of that can be, you can find inspiration from um, people that you really want to work with, partner with that, or maybe people that need what you have. Like then all of a sudden you're learning from your, um, from your like online uh, platforms instead of learning from by comparing to it's learning Mm -hmm. by, um, experiencing what somebody else's world is like, so you can figure out how to better serve them, um, as a client and understand like what problems they're having. For example, if I follow a bunch of designers that have beautifully curated feeds and use all kinds of mock-ups and like, I can maybe learn how to have certain things for my own feed or like be up to snuff uh, for lack of a better word or on par, but, um, that's not going to tell me like what my clients feeds look like or what they need help with or what platforms they're using or how to make suggestions for them. Like that doesn't, they're not going to have a designer's Instagram look. It's going to be different. So how does a, how do I serve them as an example, maybe for me? Oh, that's really cool. I, 
like a year ago had to unfollow a bunch of hand letterers, like, like calligraphers because there's, there were so many different styles and everyone was so freaking good at it that I realized I didn't. And I don't think I realized this until I started unfollowing everyone. I just knew, I kind of felt like you said something in my body that was just like, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. And something like, even though I love this art form, I can't look at this anymore. And so I unfollowed all if like almost all of them, if not all of them. And it wasn't until I did that, that I realized I, I liked it more after having that out of my head. Yeah, absolutely. Like this is something that I like doing now because I'm not, as I'm doing it and looking at my work, I'm not looking at it. I'm looking at it for what it is and from where I am rather than having, you know, 20 different hand letters work in my head. Yeah. And suddenly your source, the world just gets a lot bigger when you do that. Like your source of inspiration for hand lettering is suddenly the beauty that you see around you or um, the beauty from other things that you love besides hand lettering so that you can create something that's unique rather than it's, it's not like conscious copying. A lot of people are doing, it's just, you get inundated with your own industry stuff. And then pretty soon you're stuck. Like you can't, you can't think straight anymore. Mm-hmm. It's to me. So yeah. Yeah. I read about someone doing, you know, the, the similar thing of what we're talking about is just like, like curating your Instagram feed. (laughs) And she said that she was so much more creative after that because she wasn't looking at other people's ideas. And like you said, subconsciously trying to copy them. It was just, I'm going to make something and it's going to be cool. And because she didn't have that influence anymore, it was something completely original that just came out of her brain. Yeah, exactly. And, and for- it's, well, it's so interesting to me, like how, how much we're, what's the word for that? Um, repressing, you know, how, how much, is, how much is in there that's not getting out because I'm looking at what other people are doing. Yeah. And I think that's, um, that's a large part of what came out of that space of like tension I was describing earlier too because it's uncomfortable to sit with your own thoughts because uh, sometimes you don't like what's there or it feels empty or you don't know how it goes, but that's what creativity is. Like you don't, mm. it is an exploration. And I am a very interesting blend of analytical mind and creative mind. And I'm in an industry where a lot of people are just insanely creative. And that's not always where I'm at in my head. Like I'm a pretty structured thinker. Um, and so I can be creative, but it, I have to feed my inner self in the right ways and find rest and bandwidth and space if I'm actually going to think that way. Um, also, I just don't think the same way as a lot of creative people because it's creativity. I mean, who does? But if I was like following all of them, I think it makes me just recognize all the things that I'm not um, rather than sitting in the tension of, well, what am I? And then you, you, if you have that space away, I think there's just a lot more, um, there can be a lot more intentionality about what you do put out, whether that's content or, um, creative processes or whatever. I just, I think, um, fostering inner creativity, which comes from outward things, but finding other ways to foster it is just a really healthy thing. Mm. This is so good. I'm so happy that we're talking just about 
and it's, this is like the, uh, it's great because this isn't like a linear story. You know, this is just something that is a part of all of this. Mm-hmm. And that's, what's so fun is that some, like sometimes it's a really long thing. And like Lauren's story was really, really linear for the most part. It was like, this happened and this happened and this happened and it all led up to this. And with your story, time-wise, it sounds like everything moved pretty quickly. But then... Looking back, it that always makes me laugh to realize that because I can uh, berate myself for, like, how come you don't have this figured out yet or whatever? But then I look back, I'm like, oh, it's been a year or, oh, it's been two years. So I, I don't know. Time is a funny thing, but you're yeah. right. It has it's happened quicker than I sometimes realize that it does when I'm actually in it. And that's one thing I've, I've learned too, is like everything I've learned, uh, to be more patient with things unfolding. Like in that whole process I was describing earlier of trying to figure out what I'm about, I would like get, I would catch a vision of what it could be, of what my business could be, or like my understanding of, of the purpose of it could be, and like want to want to get it all done right then. And a lot of times I was getting glimpses of things that would happen like eight months down the road or not happen at all, honestly, but there's just only so much bandwidth that we have. And we are, I think the whole thing, just trying to view the whole thing as a grand experiment where like, okay, I can only see a few steps in front of me. I'm gonna discern what those steps are and trust in the steps following that. Um, and like be inspired by the vision that I have, but not get like lost in it or churn my wheels trying to like produce uh, or arrive at a point that that's, that was never the point. The point is right now, like what's happening right now and experiencing that. Um, that was really hard for me. I still, the hamster wheel is what I describe it as. Like mm-hmm. I just get going and I want to, I want an outcome. I want to arrive somewhere. And that's just never been the case. And things that I was like angstily thinking through a year ago are still just now kind of starting to take shape or make more sense. And it's so much easier when it happens that way. Like I've realized it doesn't all have to be that hard. Like if you're patient then and deliberate and thoughtful and just let things happen, that momentum starts to take place in a way that was different than you ever could have forced it to be on your own, if that makes sense. I think so. Can you say it again? Just so it sinks in. Yeah. <laughs> um, rather than forcing things to happen in the way that you want them to, in the time that you want them to, in the way that you envision, you can take one step at a time, trusting in the process and believing that those things will happen in the time they need to happen. And I have found that doing that allows um, for a lot more ease in the way that I work because I'm following what's already there and what's in front of me and making decisions about that rather than grasping for something that isn't yet there or is just outside of my logical bandwidth of life at that time. Okay, cool. (laughs) Thank you for saying that again. And it's reminding me, now that it's (laughs) processing it, Um, I think that is the reason that there are so many quote unquote motivational quotes that 
just make me feel kind of weird inside. Like, like I, I don't know why that I disagree, but it feels like that's wrong. Things like, I'm just, I can't think of any off the top of my head right now, but just things that are on planners, like, like good things come to those who hustle and like, don't dream it, do it. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, yeah, I do. It's the, like, they're all execution um, type of, well, the whole, the word hustle is such a, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a rabbit, that's a rabbit trail, but one yeah. that I, that's what I'm alluding to though. Um, I, my, I was raised to value hard work and I think it's been ingrained in me that if I just work hard enough, that's how you get what you want or get where you need to be, or that's how you validate what you're doing. Mm. And sometimes hard work just isn't going to make it happen. Like you can't force things to be in the world sometimes. Like it just is what it is. (laughs) So that hustle mentality will absolutely run you into the ground if you're not careful. Um, And it depends on the person too. Like I think that's maybe more, more what I'm describing. We all need balance in our lives. And sometimes Mm. The person that thinks they need to hustle more needs to just take a giant chill pill and be patient. And the person that is good at taking the chill pill and being patient, like maybe they do need a call to action or um, need to like jump into that scary next step or whatever it is and, you know, stop hesitating or pausing. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely guilty of that part too. I can procrastinate till the cows come home. But um, yeah, that's that those quotes are kind of what I'm alluding to in some ways. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I am a super planner nerd, but I see those quotes everywhere and I try to avoid them like the yeah. plague. <laughs> yeah. I me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I I think um when you well, when you say super planner nerd, what do you mean? <laughs> That's a good question. Usually a lot of people hear that and they're like, "Okay, yeah, I know what box you're in." <laughs> But, um, think ahead, you're, you plan, like you're a planner. That's what you're saying. Right. And I indulge in what I believe are marketed as luxury planners. Oh, I see. That is to say I had an Erin Condren hardbound for a two and a half years. Cause the first one was 18 months. Um, but then they stopped producing their hardbound and I, their spiral bounds come with all this extra stuff that I don't think I need. And only in two different formats. And they're like $65 (laughs) for 12 months. And I'm like, no. And somebody told me about Plum Paper, which is a very comparable planner with a million more layouts and and even more customizable. Because Aaron Condren kind of sells themselves on customization, but Plum Paper, I would say they're the queen's of customization. And I think their designs are more up my alley too. And they're cheaper. I can't, I, can't, I don't want to say the price off the top of my head because it might be wrong and I don't want to mislead people. But um, that's what I mean is like, I can talk about like the, these are the companies I know. Like every time I see a planner on Instagram, Instagram knows how to market to me. I'm like, ooh, what is this? Is there this new magical layout that will completely change my life? And no, it'll never change my life. I relate to that, yeah. 
but but I'm always like, what's new? I do that with um, uh, project management systems. I do the same thing. Click a, I mean, I'm like, I have tried so many and I'm, if I get on a streak of thinking that I need one, then I'll be, I'll just scour the internet for one that does everything that I need it to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm, just, I'm looking for something to fix what can't be fixed, which is life. Like it doesn't really work that way. I just recently tried Sunsama and Sunsama. it is magical. <laughs> the names they come up with of these things. Because <laughs> I, I mean, I know Sama. No, wait, maybe I'm thinking Yama. I was going to say Sama means um, uh, mountain in Japanese, but I think that's wrong. <laughs> I think it's I Yama. Anyways, so I have no idea what it means, but they have a big orange circle as their logo that I'm pretty sure is supposed to be a sun. Sometimes I've found that they, like, it takes more work for me to make it work for myself. Well, and I just end up with too many different programs that I'm using. I think. I'm, like, looking for the one-all be-all, and that is mm. not there. But I do use a lot yeah. of great programs that I love. I'm a digital, like, I, I enjoy that. But I'll send you I a link that. just in case. I also love Airtable. I was using that for a while. Yeah, that's a good one. I just switched to Dubsado. Um, I don't know. Oh, if yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been a great a great program to use. And then I just use, I use Google Docs a lot and Google Drive for files. But otherwise, I tried ClickUp. I tried, and ClickUp's great. Don't get me wrong. I just think I was like. I've never heard of it. Tell oh, me more. Oh, ClickUp? It's supposed to be like it markets itself as the one all be all where you can manage projects, uh, track hours, have teams, um, share files. Uh, it's whole marketing thing is like, it integrates with all of these apps, but you also don't need a lot of apps if you sign up for it. And I think that's true. Actually, I probably could get used to it, but it just, eventually it becomes too much clutter in my, like Mm -hmm. for me, that's what it turns into where I'm like, wow, I, just bought this app and I'm still using Apple notes to like take it <laughs> out. Yeah. But there's all like, I think I've been just trying to streamline my process and that all kind of falls into it. I can get a little perfectionistic about it. So. Okay. I have two questions about Dubsado. Why do you love it? And how does the project tracking work? Because I only know it for like invoicing and communicating with clients. Yeah. So there's, um, so there's sort of like a tier of project manage- management systems where there are a number of them that work super duper well um, that that do a number of things, but they're not automated. And then there's a like mega <laughs> client management systems that automate things. And so I would put like Bonsai and FreshBooks into the work super duper well, just don't automate category. And then I would put 17 hats, Dubs Auto, and HoneyBook into the uh, mega automate category. So it doesn't, you don't have to use it for mega, but the thing I love about Dubs Auto, which a number of these other programs also do, is they make it really easy for the client. So one of the things that I care a lot about is ease of use for my clients and an excellent client process. Like that's really important to me. I'm always trying to improve the way that that goes and communicate really well and provide like a good experience for them, not just the good product. Um, and with Dubsado, once you input everything in, you can email them 
a quote or proposal and then it's directly followed by a contract which is directly followed by an invoice and there it's like an automated thing so within a matter of 10 minutes they've booked and are done and you have all those documents organized um, without like a back and forth of oh great now you paid okay now here's another document okay now here's another so that mm. part is slick and then um, just it can automate like it keeps track of when things are due and at what time and you can send automated emails you can like streamline your process a lot through that so i've input like i have a lot of diversity in my process for some projects but for branding for example i have like a really clear process i run people through so i've like tried to set up a protocol in Dubsado so that the emails are already there which makes it easier for me too when i'm i'm not like reinventing the wheel every time i try to take a mm -hmm. next step client so that's those are like the wins for me, it does a number of other things, but what was your second question? How does the project tracking work? Cause I just thought it was for like accounting and talking to clients. No, it has a, so under projects, um, so you have your client database and then a client can, you can connect a client to a project. And so your dashboard shows all the projects that you have going and within each project, you can send emails, uh, track invoices, send forms. So that could be a proposal or questionnaires, uh, take notes and track hours for things. Um, and it just keeps it all within the realm of that project. So, you know, you know what they paid, you know, what invoices or what questionnaire they've submitted or not submitted, you know, where it's at in the process of like, is it, are you onboarding? Are you in process? Are you launching? Like you can kind of see all of that. Um, and then if you want to automate it, they have a whole workflow system too, where you can like automate a lot of that stuff. I haven't done that yet. So it's more just like, I want to see everything all in one place for that project. Um, and then they also have a client portal where everything that exists for that project, the clients can see too. So the questionnaire, they filled out the invoice that they need to, to pay, um, et cetera, et cetera. Appointments. That's nice. Yeah. It's, it's pretty slick. Yeah. I highly recommend for sure. Cool. And 17 hats is great too. I've used that one in the past. Um, and I would say it's like slightly less robust, but in the, like it still does a ton of stuff. So that's a good one too. Cool. Um, if you have, I imagine you have some sort of Dubsado referral link. I do. You should send that to me and I'll put it on the podcast page. Oh, okay. I'll send it. But, uh, I was the one that was using 17 hats before that. It was a great program. You can, uh, you can do book keeping in 17 hats uh, to a certain extent, you can't do that in Dubsado. Dubsado mm. tracks all of your income and it also tracks client expenses or project expenses, but it doesn't like link to your bank account. So if you're looking for mm. a one-stop shop when it comes to bookkeeping, 17 hats may be a better mm. choice. And it still has all the automated stuff I just talked about. So. Oh, interesting. I yeah. didn't know that. I use, so I, the budgeting software that I use for my own personal everything you can create more than one budget. And so I have, oh. now I have two budgets, one called Wonderment and another one called Johnson Family. <laughs> and it even will like automate different reports and stuff. It's really great. I love it. Oh, that's perfect. We've talked about where you've been and where you are and what, oh. You got so many good thoughts. I'm so happy about you. <laughs> but uh, where are you going? 
Yeah, I'm excited about where things are headed for Averson. Um, I, I am learning how passionate I am about more than the design. I've found that I tend to get uh, involved deeply in like the strategy behind things for my clients. And I also care a lot about implementation. So even some of the booking systems we were just talking about or email list setups, et cetera, I like really, really care about whether things are implemented well on the back end. Um, and so one thing that my that I'm integrating into my business is more ways to support my clients after they've done an initial project with me. So once you're a part of the Averson family, you're there for good. Like I want there to be a sense of loyalty that like I'm going to be there to support them moving forward. Um, so I offer like a design day service and um, am dreaming up some initial some other services too that I'll be sharing with my clients um, that will allow them to just have resources available as their brand grows because a lot of times they're um, you know well you would know as good as anyone like things can change just very quickly based on what you need and so you could build this whole brand or have a website set up and then at the the minute you're done with it, you realize there's things that are already changing. So I just want to be available to them through that. And then um, I'm also just trying to expand my services to be more comprehensive too. So um, I'm exploring some partnership opportunities to do that um, and allow for, if Averson would, would not, I wouldn't want to call it a one-stop shop necessarily, but when it comes to branding, I want to be able to support my clients in more ways than just design. Um, and be collaborative. I think I've realized how much I'm wired to be a collaborative person and I like to talk through ideas and bounce ideas off of other people and celebrate their ideas and integrate together ideas. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. um, involving other people in that is always like a bright light to me when I get to do it. And so I want to do it more and I'm looking into, well, really trying to execute ways that that will happen um, more consistently, basically. That's awesome. Well, the question I know you've been waiting for. Let's what do you want to know? <laughs> I want to know. There's so many things I want to know. Right? Um, I want to know what everyone's Enneagram number is. Oh, you I, know what? I have you on my list to talk about the Enneagram. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a whole nother, uh, we'll need to book another one of these for that. Yes. Which yes. I love. But I, I love the Enneagram. I think it's a very interesting tool. And I am not one to ask, or I'm not one to assume what a person's Enneagram is, number mm. is or what number they associate with. I try really hard not to. However, I think it's so interesting to talk to people about. And so I'm always kind of treading lightly to see if they're interested. <laughs> and then if they are, I usually nerd out pretty hard with them. Or even if they don't want to nerd out, it just gives me so much context and I love hearing that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's people where I'm like, if I knew what number you were, that might really help us out right now. I think I could <laughs> be doing that. <laughs> yes. Yes. And there's so much, especially now that it's been like popularized and monetized, it, there's just so much misinformation going around. And even channels that I trust, like relevant, are just like throwing out listicles that make me so angry. Yeah. There's a number of different schools of thought on it now too. And so there's a lot of like debate in it and um yeah it's just constantly changing which is a beautiful thing but at the same time it can be a little bit confusing i think and it right. can get 
stereotyped pretty quickly. Right. Like anytime you try to be funny with it, it's always based on stereotypes and it's just, it feels so unhelpful and just hurtful. Yeah. And especially, especially poor fours. They just, I mean, at eights, I feel the, I think I feel the worst for fours and eights because they're always, everybody just thinks that fours are sad and eights are angry and overpowering. It's like, which is not true. People that I know, that's not true really at all. There's so much more to it, but I know for a fact that uh, twos can be angry too. Um, (laughs) I know one happens to me, so I'm not, I don't think eights are the only one. Exactly. We can all act in amazing and unhealthy ways. Mm-hmm. Amen. It's just our motivation behind it. Oh, you're so great. I'm so excited to do that episode now. I know. That's great. Let's do it. Okay. Well, thank you. Thanks so much, Julia. I appreciate yeah. you having me.